Welcome back to Praise Gathering, everybody. How are you all doing today? Great. Great's a good answer. I'm great, too. <laughs> awesome. Do you all have your handouts today? Yeah, if you need a handout or an envelope for your giving, just shoot your hand up in the air, and Uncle June will help you with that. Christmas is just around the corner. Hey, are you guys ready? Yeah? It's been um, a little bit of a hustle and bustle when you make your way to the malls lately. You know, um, I went, when was it? Sometime in November? And they already had like Christmas decorations up in the mall. And there was like this Santa Claus sitting there and uh, screaming children sitting on his lap and parents trying to console their children just to get them to smile for the photograph. I'm so pleased that we have um, Jelly and Ara here that have been able to prepare this uh, photo shoot opportunity for families and friends to come. So please, if you haven't been prepared, thank you guys. Yeah, let's give them a round of appreciation. Applause of appreciation. Thank you guys. Um, they started last week. They're doing it this week. And one more time next week. So if you weren't prepared for your photos today, make sure you come on back next week. And, um, and Jelly and Ara will make sure that you look beautiful, okay? That's a great gift. <laughs> it's the only time my family gets to take, like, a real family photos. <laughs> Thank you. Our study today is entitled Presence, Presence. Presence, Presence. What do you prefer at Christmas time? Do you prefer getting a gift wrapped in a box? Or do you prefer the company of friends and family? <laughs> a little bit of both. You know, I, I stopped and thought about it. I was looking over my bank account recently, and my wife and I, we were thinking, okay, what are we going to do for Christmas this year in terms of gifts, you know, in terms of gifts? And I was looking at that, and I said, wow, you know what? This bank account is looking a little bit, let's put it this way. We need to get a little creative with our gifts this year, Okay. You need to get a little creative with our gifts. And we were thinking, what are we going to get the boys, you know? Like, we want to see them tearing open those gifts. And while that's fun for but a moment, the joy that they experience could be fleeting. Um, it's like when you buy a child a new toy or a toy that they think they always wanted. They open it up. They're so excited. They love it. And you're just like, oh, let's see the smile on their face. An hour and a half later, they're moved on to the next toy. It's like, what happened? I just spent how much on this gift and you don't care about it, you know? And we came to decide, you know what? Our kids need us more than they need any of the gifts that we could buy them. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's best that the best presents that we could give them is our presents, mm -hmm. you know? Maybe this holiday season that we don't... It's good if giving is your love language and you want to give gifts to people, go ahead. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts to people. That's, that's a good thing, you know? But don't do it to the point that you're so, like, upset. Oh, I have to get these gifts for these people. I hate Christmas, and why am I doing this? And my bank account's so low. And it's like, why are you going broke for Christmas? It's just, it's not worth it, you know? It's not worth the stress. Um, the Bible also tells us God loves a cheerful giver, okay? So this holiday season, if you're not giving cheerfully... Better, better not to give it all, right? Just give your presents, okay? Like your real presents. 
Fellowship and friendship, it, it's a beautiful thing. Today we're going to be talking about God's presence and how his presence is actually the greatest gift ever given to us. Because what do you care more about? Do you care about getting a particular gift or do you care about the person that's giving you that gift? Hey, when you give a gift to somebody and you put a lot of thought into it and you had to work hard so that you could give them the gift that you want, don't you hope that the person would appreciate you as well, not just the gift that you're giving them? It's quiet because, yeah, I think we just bought into the consumerist uh, holiday that Christmas has become and we forgot that really this is all about the presence of God in our life. If we could refocus just for a moment here while we're at Praise Gathering, and let's just refocus our minds a little bit, and forget about the holiday gift buying for a second, and let's just get back to the gift that God has given us, his presence, okay? We're going to be going back into the Old Testament where God had been saying to his people, the Israelites, in many times, he says, I am with you. Okay, we're going to look at these first three verses. Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's a command. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or, for, nor, nor forsake, forsake you. you. So in the Old Testament, we see how God encourages his people with his presence. Okay? He doesn't say, oh, listen, I'm going to give you the Bible so you could go bash people with it when they say something bad against you. You know, you don't condemn people and use God's word as a weapon to condemn people, okay? Even his word is a gift to us, okay? But what God encourages them with is his presence. Let's look at the next slide here. We're going to break it down. He says only two things in all these passages. He says, be strong and courageous. That's all that he wants. He says, be strong and courageous because I am with you. See, he doesn't say be strong and courageous on your own. He doesn't say you need to work up your strength and your courage. He says, be strong and courageous because I am with you. You don't have to worry about anything because I am with you. His presence is like the thing that takes away everything else. And those are the only two things he says. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. What does he say not to be? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be fear-filled. Don't be distressed. Don't be anxiety-ridden. Don't be terrified. There's so many things that we ought not to be, and all that he wants us to do is find strength and courage in knowing that he is with us. So we don't have to do much, do we? Let's look at how much God does for us. God will be with you. God will strengthen you. God will help you. God will uphold you. God goes with you. God will never leave you. And God will never forsake you. He does all this. His presence is huge. And he wants to take away your fear. He wants to take away your anxiety. 
He wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to know his presence. Okay? I am with you. I like what it says in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. When the Bible talks about God's right hand, it talks about his might. It talks about his ability. It talks about his power and his activity in our life. This is what God will do for us. He promised that he would guide us. We can't hide from God. Did you know that? Did you know that God is everywhere? But just because he's everywhere, it doesn't mean everyone will see him or that everyone will know him. But he does have this ability to be everywhere. God is ever-present. He's capable of being everywhere at the same time. His divine presence encompasses the whole of the universe. How do you respond to the reality of his omnipresence? Are you encouraged by it? Are you fearful? Are you ashamed? Or are you indifferent? Like it doesn't make a difference in your life. You don't really care. God is ever present. He is here. What difference does that make in your life knowing this? When you're doing something bad, maybe you feel a little differently. When you're caught doing something you shouldn't be doing or being somewhere you're, you're, you shouldn't be, and you're like, oh, no, God's here, you know, maybe you'll feel ashamed, right? Maybe when you're feeling really sad, maybe that brings courage, encouragement to you, right? Knowing that God is with you, that he sees you and knows your sorrow, knowing that he knows your heart, knowing he knows every burden that you bear, and that he loves you and he's walking with you, God is present. Does that encourage you? God is present. Does that make you fearful? You know? A lot of what we've been talking about lately in, in praise gathering has been about being stuck in our secret sins. And maybe we ought to be quite afraid if we're still willfully sinning and disobeying God. Maybe we ought to be afraid because we, we cannot come in the presence of the Almighty God with all of our sin and shame and being like, you know what, I'm choosing my sin over you, God. Be afraid a little bit, friends. He's the only one you ought to fear if that's what you're choosing, okay? There's a story in Exodus 33. Verses 12 to 17. This is uh, when Moses had gone up to the mountain talking to the Lord. And this is after the people of Israel have already disgraced themselves before God. And they're, they're being disobedient. But Moses is the mediator at this point, And he's going to talk to God on behalf of all the Israelite nation. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send me, with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. 
The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and pleased with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So God promised to dwell among the people of Israel by the request of this mediator, Moses. But now God dwells among his people for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the new, the better, and the only mediator who brings his people to Father God. You see, this is a foreshadowing that happens here. Moses was meant to show us that, listen, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your situation is, you might have disgraced yourself before God. You might have made God look bad carrying his name. Remember, when you claim to be a Christ follower, you're a Christian, right? You, carry the, you bear the name of Christ. You're bearing Christ's name when you call yourself a Christian. And if you disgrace that name of Christ, Jesus is still mediating on your behalf. Jesus is still saying, Lord, please don't leave them. He's saying, God, Father God, don't leave them. We, we're going to make our home with them. We're not going to leave them. This is what God has promised, okay? Isn't that a beautiful story, though? God knows you by name. When we are in Christ, we are hidden in Christ. We know that God delights in his son, yes? We know that Father God delights in his son. And as long as we are in the Son, you know what? Jesus said, believe in me, I'm going to my Father, and you know what? You're going to stay with me, okay? I got you covered. You're covered with my name. God knows us because Christ is over us. And because of that, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He promised that he will go with you no matter what you are facing. He promised to uphold us. He promised to help us in our time of need. I hope this brings some encouragement, friends. What would it be like if you had a God that had like no activity in your life? You're worshiping God and you're like, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, God is always working, right? God is always helping you find a way back to him. He's like, what have I done for you? I've been with you this entire time. You know, when you thought you were alone and everybody else abandoned you, I am still here. When you think nobody else could understand, I understand. When you are afraid, you don't see me protecting you and guarding you. All right? Don't give in to the fears of this world, friends, because God is with you. Amen? Even Jesus, um, after his death and his resurrection, he gives this final parting word um, to his disciples in Matthew 28. Verse 20b. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Surely. You see that? And surely I am with you. He wants to assure his followers that he will be with them. And it's interesting because he's ascending to heaven at this point. And it's like, what do you mean you're going to be with us? You're leaving us here. You know what I mean? But how? It's, it's like a mystery. How would Jesus still be with his followers after he's departed and ascended back to the throne. 
back up to Father God. How was God with the Israelites all those years in the Old Testament? How was he present with them? You know, it's not like he came down in bodily form and started walking the earth. But he promised Moses, my presence will go with you. And Jesus said, surely I am with you. And this seems to be the very message that God has for us throughout Scripture. I am with you. Right? Remember that time he was trying to comfort his disciples? Um, Don't worry. Don't fret. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Right? He understands. I believe God understands that we have a yearning and a longing to, to know him and to be known by him. Maybe you don't feel that yearning. Maybe not a yearning for God, but maybe that yearning to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, right? Maybe it's not with God. But maybe you've experienced this when you're looking for a romantic partner, right? And it's like, I wish somebody would just know me and choose me and love me. I want someone that I know that I could love. And no matter what they do, I'm still going to love them. And I won't give up on them. You know, we're all looking for that faithfulness in relationships. Maybe not just romantic, even just a friend. A friend that will be a shoulder for you to cry on, that you could be there for to encourage them. You know, we want that faithfulness in life. Relationships, right? Why did God design us this way? Why did he design us and... When we think about our relationships, we start to get all bent out of shape and all out of sorts because it's like, I'm not experiencing relationships to the ideal standard that I have for myself. Why, why does it have to be so messy? Why do relationships have to be so messy? There's one thing I learned from my parents that had stuck with me all this time. One thing I learned from my parents about marriage, and um, I can't promise that I would be there for my wife the rest of her life. What if I die? Can't be there for the rest of her life, right? Um, I can't promise that I'm gonna have loving feelings for her all the time, right? And I remember my wife asking me, what do you think it is you have to offer in a relationship? My mom coined a term, and she calls it stick to it ability. Stick to it ability. So the stick to it ability means don't give up. I remember my commitment to my wife, I learned from my father. He said, you just have to commit to work at it. You will not give up. You will work at it. And that, I believe, is what faithfulness in relationships is all about. Because to work at it means, listen, I'm giving up other things. It means I'm focusing my energy. I am putting some effort into this. I am invested here. So my focus and my attention, it's here, right? Stick to it ability a commitment to work at it. I believe that this is how God looks at us because we mess up and we screw up and we make him sad, but he stays right with us and he doesn't give up on us. 
He wants to see us restored. He wants to see us find joy. He doesn't want to see us suffering. He wants to know that we're, we're knowing his peace as we discover more and more of who he is. We discover this as we know God's presence in our life. Okay? And Jesus said to his followers, Surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. How does this all work? Remember, Jesus came into this earth as a little baby boy. Who loves babies? Two people, three, five. (laughs) I love babies. I love babies, and you know, we keep having them. And um, there's something about seeing an innocent little baby that just kind of warms your heart. You don't even know who they are, but you see them there, and the moment that you see them smile, the moment you see them connect with you, their eyes look at you and they smile, and their whole body giggles with joy. And when you come close to them, they grab onto your finger, (laughs) and they hold on with all their might, and all of a sudden you're connected with this little being, and there's joy in that moment, right? What's happening in that moment? There's (laughs) there's, <laughs> there's connecting that happens, right? There's attention, this undivided attention. There is awe and wonder when you look at this miracle. I can't imagine what Mary and Joseph to see baby Jesus, this promised son of God, as a baby, to connect with baby Jesus, what a joy that would have been. It's like what God said is true, and he promised that we would have this child, and this child is here in our care, and we get to know him, and we get to watch him grow, and we get to uh, connect with him. Imagine the presence of God has never been more real in this earth than when Jesus was born in this world. When Jesus was walking here, oh, what the Bible tells us, it just, I would love to have known God this way in such a real and tangible sort of way. Let's look at how uh, this whole story played out. We're looking at two stories. Same story, two different accounts. Okay, the first one's found in Luke, um, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, 
The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Imagine you're Mary. You're probably like washing the dishes. And all of a sudden, here comes this messenger of the Lord. Kind of scary. You know, it's like, greetings. You are highly favored by God. (coughs) Who are you? I've never seen you before in my life. You know, she gets out the frying pan. Your initial reaction, she was wondering, what sort of message is this? What's going on here, right? And then the next thing the angel says, he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Remember Moses? He was also favored by God, right? And God's presence went with Moses. Here's Mary. You are favored by God. What does that mean, to be favored? When we have favor with someone, we want to be with him or her. We delight in him. We want to connect with her in a way that we don't connect with everyone else. We usually favor people who also favor us. Isn't that true? We usually favor people that also favor us. We take delight. You want to keep good company when you enjoy each other's company, right? You find favor with. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, These are the ones that I favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Who tremble at my word. They find the awesomeness of God's purpose and his will. They find the awesomeness in his his desire, right? I didn't always like certain flavors of food, okay? There's some foods I was just totally against, but I started hanging out with my friends a little bit more, and the more I hung out with them, I started to taste what they were tasting, and I eventually I start to enjoy the food that we eat together. Just because my friends enjoyed it, I learned to enjoy it myself. The more you spend time with people, you start to get a similar taste for things. Which one? Olives. Olives, dude. (laughs) Olives. Some of our friends have to hang out more. If you don't like olives, hang out with us some more. Um, There's so many things, like sushi, an acquired taste for some people, right? I love my sushi. Did I always? No. No, the texture was weird. I had to get used to it. But the more you expose yourself, the more you take it in, the more you experience it, the more happiness you could experience from it, right? You start to delight in it. You start to find favor with that. The sushi is favored by me. It is my favorite, okay? Think of the people that you favor, the people you want to hang out with. When you're with them, you don't feel like you have to impress them. You don't feel like you have to sell yourself. You could just be, you could just be with them. It's like a safe place. And you could laugh and fall over them and it won't matter, you know? Um, these are the favored people in your life, okay? But 
The people that God favors, he said, are the humble and contrite in spirit. Okay? So God opposes the proud, right? The Bible tells us that over and over, that God opposes the proud. But he finds favor with the humble. So what does this tell us about Mary? She must have been humble, contrite in spirit, a good Jewish girl, right? She was a virgin, saving herself for marriage, right? Second Chronicles 6 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Perfect toward him. What does it mean to be perfect toward God? To be perfect toward him means that we seek his favor more than we seek the favor of anyone else, even ourselves. Is that cool? To be perfect before him means that we seek his favor more than we seek the favor of anyone else, even ourselves. Now, this is a good word to hang on to, okay? If there's anything you're struggling with, if you find that you're being a people pleaser and you're living your life just to please other people, you know how much that sucks the energy out of your life, don't you? You cannot satisfy everybody else, you know? And you're working and working, trying to gain their favor. You're trying to get them to appreciate you more. You know, that's enslavement, you know? We are called to be slaves of God, slaves of righteousness, to yearn after righteousness. So everything that we do, we should be living our lives only to seek God's favor. It doesn't matter what your neighbors or anybody else will say. Is God pleased with the choices that you're making and the life that you're living? You don't need to, hi, yeah, hi, I love babies. <laughs> right? If she wasn't such a cute baby, you know. <laughs> I find favor with you, child, right? Imagine that's how, how God is with us. No matter what we're doing, it might seem a little bit strange to others, but as long as you're seeking to please God first and find favor with him first, seek first the kingdom of God and what God wants. Don't seek what you want and then bring that to God. God, this is what I want, so make it happen. And then I'll worship you. That's not the way we do it. God, here I am, your servant. What would you have of me? Right? And here I stand. Have your way in me, God. I want to please you with my life as a sweet sacrifice, uh, like an offering. I want to be a living sacrifice for you, God. Find favor with God. Don't become a slave to human beings. We studied that last week. So here's Mary, a humble servant, ready to take on whatever the Lord had planned and to use her for. Imagine her first child would come from the Holy Spirit, would come from God. She wouldn't get to be with her husband. She, you know, it's like God's going to put this child inside her. She's going to conceive something from the Holy Spirit. And then it comes to its fullness and it's birthed. And he would be given the name Jesus. Let's look at Joseph's story. Now, so much of the time I feel bad for Joseph. We always focus on Mary and the virgin birth, but we forget all about Joseph. Let's look at his story in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now Joseph was also chosen by God, okay? It wasn't just Mary, it was also Joseph. Some biblical scholars will say, well, they had to choose somebody from the line of David because it said that the Messiah would rise from the house of David. And notice in both accounts, it talks about Joseph, a descendant of David. Joseph from the house of David. So we say, but Joseph wasn't even really Jesus' father, right? Because it wasn't his seed. Do you realize what God was asking of Joseph here? He's saying, listen, you're already um, promised to be with this Mary. You're supposed to be married. An engagement then was not like an engagement we have out here today. You know, it's as though engagement is a trial period and it's not too late. You could still back out, you know, before you say I do. Back then, it's like this arranged marriage and it's already set. Do you notice how it said when he discovered that she was pregnant, that he was having in mind to divorce her quietly, right? He didn't want to bring shame to her, but he also wanted to uphold the law. He knew he couldn't be with her if she has already been with somebody else, right? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why divorce? They weren't married yet. See, to us, we think, oh, well, you could back out. No, see, they were already as husband and wife, promised to one another, bound together already. And here comes this thing. It could bring him shame. It could bring her shame. And God's asking him to step into the situation. Listen, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The child that's in her, it's not from any man. It's from me. It's okay. Go home with Mary. Take her as your wife. And you will name this child Jesus. He's asking Joseph, Take this pregnant wife and take the child that's inside her and raise him up as your own. Adopt Jesus as your own. See, adoption in the Bible times, it was everything. What comes along with that adoption? You have all the rights and all the benefits and the privilege of being from the house of that father. You are actually, you actually become a son or a daughter of that father and you carry his name. So Jesus was adopted by Joseph into this line of David, and he's the Messiah that rises up. He has every right as the Messiah coming from the house of David. But what's God looking at Joseph to? We notice that he planned to handle the delicate situation to divorce his pregnant fiancée. 
Secondly, the fact that Joseph is prepared to give up the right to sire his own firstborn son and accept and even name Jesus, Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. It says a lot about the character of Joseph. And thirdly, Joseph chose not to consummate their marriage until after the birth and naming of Jesus. That important little detail there. He chose not to be with his wife. He didn't want to taint what God was using with his own seed, right? He didn't want to disrupt God's purpose. It is holy and set apart. And Joseph understood this. So he chose not to get himself mixed in and mess up whatever God is dealing with. So this tells us Joseph also had favor with God, okay? Because he trembled with awe at his word. And when God says something, he gives his life. He was devout, right? How about us today, friends? What lesson could we learn from Joseph? Are we like Joseph? Are we finding favor with God? Are we humble and contrite in spirit? Do we tremble at his word? Do we care about what God cares about? When God says, go here, do we follow? How is God leading our life if we're not following him? Is God really leading? Let's say it this way. Is God really leading your life if God says, go here, and you don't go? Is he really leading your life? There's the presence of so many other things that are fighting for your attention. It's fighting for your attention to call you away from the presence of God. The enemy doesn't want you to know God. To know God, to know Jesus, is life. Anything apart from that, not life. Okay? Matthew writes about what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know the best way to say it. I don't know how to get the point across. But friends, when we say God is with us, and it doesn't make a lick of difference in your life, we need to wake up, okay? We need to wake up because you cannot enjoy and experience the presence of God in your life if you're still sleeping in the darkness. He wants to wake you up to a new light and a new day, okay? Um, I don't want to throw my wife under the bus or anything here, but let's put it this way. I'm a morning person. She likes the nighttime better, okay? As a morning person, I wake up, I'm ready to face the day. And my wife, she's present there with me, but she's sleeping. And hours pass, and she's still in bed. And I love my wife so much, I want her to rest, because she doesn't sleep a lot at night. She's up with the baby. But imagine what that would do to your marriage if somebody else was always sleeping, so if, if you're awake and she's sleeping, then when she wakes up, you go to bed. There's not much time for that relationship. There's not much time for that, the presence of one another to have any effect. We could be there physically beside each other, but there's no 
influence of the presence of the other if someone's still sleeping. And I feel that's the way a lot of us Christians are today. It's like we're still in bed and God's like, come on, wake up, time to get up, right? And I'm sure when I go to bed at night, in all fairness, my wife is probably like, I'm awake, the baby's awake, but daddy, you're sleeping. So, you know, it's like, you're no good to me right now, you know, and I'm no help to her when she's up at night. She gets it. I'm preaching to the choir there. Yeah. The presence of God in our life, having favor with God, being encouraged, knowing that we don't need to stress in this life anymore, knowing that we don't need to feel anxiety anymore. Sometimes it's chemical, yes, but when the chemical things get you down, does it dampen your spirit? So your spirit doesn't have to go down when your physical body goes down, okay? God is spirit, and he wants to let you know how his presence can help you in those times of need. If you've ever known anybody that tried to take their life, maybe that was you. If you've ever known anybody that was trying to overcome addiction, or maybe that was you. If you ever seen somebody that was dealing with grief and they couldn't overcome it and they're just sad all the time, or maybe that's you. God is with us and we don't need to live like that anymore. I could look sad on the outside. Bad things could be happening to my body, but my soul rejoices because I know my Lord. No matter what comes your way, even if your body comes down with sickness, the enemy will try to scare you and help you feel like, where's God now? Remember, God is here. Okay? He will not leave you in the time when you need him the most. He's always been there. But are you awake to his presence in your life? Or have you pressed the snooze button on God and chosen to live in this sleepy worldliness? Yes. When I was thinking about that, we always describe, like, when you think of the wind, right? And we know that the wind is outside right now, and we might not feel it. But when we step outside and we see the leaves everywhere, right, we see the, the, the presence of the wind. We know the, the evidence that the wind was there. And in our lives, sometimes with God's presence, it's not directly on us, but it affects us through other people, through the things and, and the situation and sometimes when I, I'm in that place where I can't feel God's presence, I look past and I look at the evidence of what he's done in my life, where I might not have felt him, but I look back and I said, you know, that time I didn't realize it, I didn't know it, but when I look back at the effect of what he did for me, I know his, his presence must have been with me at that time. And when I think, and that's when I, I become most grateful because sometimes you feel resentful. It's like, why did you let me go through this for so long? Why did I have to go through this, right? Where were you? Where was your presence at that time when I needed you? And it's like the footprints in the sand. It's not till we go back and you look at the evidence, the effects of it, that's when you realize that God never left you and you might not have felt it, but if you look at the evidence and the effects in his life, you cannot deny 
that's why I don't know how atheists exist because I look back at my life and there is no denying every single moment in my life, even when I felt the most depressed, the most anxious, the most fearful, he was there at every single step in your life. Thank you for that, guys. What I'm hearing from both of you, it's about God's presence in our life. It has a lot to do with faith, doesn't it? Faith is being certain of the things we can't see, right? And in those moments when you go through trials and tests and whatever else, be strong and courageous because God is with you. And it takes faith. It takes faith to know that he is with us. And remember that faith is a gift from him. If you don't receive that gift of faith from God, you will always doubt and question and wonder if God is really there. It's not anything that you're doing wrong. It's just what you haven't received yet. Remember, faith is a gift. It's brought to us by God's presence in our life. You can't receive a gift from someone unless it is delivered to you, right? Jesus was delivered to us in this world that we could know God more. And remember, before Jesus came, it was only the Israelites that were called God's people, right? But after Jesus came, he's delivering a gift for the whole world that people could wake up to the presence of God and experience and know his presence in our life. You might not feel it, all the time. You might not see it in the moment, but that's why faith is so important. Practicing the awareness of God. Um, yeah, if you need something practical and maybe you're more of a feeler, right? But what my mom has just shared there, I like how she said she gets in the car, she shuts off the radio, right? And she's focused on God. So when we put our focus and attention toward God, that helps us to nurture that relationship that we have with him. That helps open us up as we spend more time and it puts us at ease when we're able to share the things that are on our heart, right? But remember, our time with God is not only for him to hear what's on our heart. It also allows us, when we unload all that, it leaves more space for us to receive what he wants to impress on us what he wants to speak to us. So the presence in that relationship becomes so much more real, you know? So you might feel something different than when you first started that, that time together, you know? But even with that, she also said, just believing that he's there. It does take faith, once again, my friends, right? Though you might look crazy to the rest of the world, Okay, but that's okay because you're seeking favor with God first, not favor of anybody else. God speaks to you in your language. I believe it. Sometimes when we're being stubborn, it takes uh, discomfort to get our attention, right? Sometimes when we're being stubborn, we need to be told to stop. <laughs> stop and focus on God. Be still and know that he is God. When we're keeping busy in our life, it's difficult to know the presence of God or acknowledge it because there's a presence of so many other things vying for our attention. But you know that when your heart is turned toward God because of an experience like what my, my brother Errol here shared, God speaks your language to get your attention, right? 
Um, in my marriage, I might be maybe neglecting my wife, not on purpose, you know, but sometimes other obligations pull you away. And then my wife will text message me or send me something and just say, Tim, could you come to the room? I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Tim, could you come? She could have just called up. She didn't want to like shout across the house. So she goes, Tim, can you please come to the room? It's almost like being called to the principal's office. You're like, you're not sure what to expect, right? And I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't realize how much time had passed. I had been on my computer. I was doing my work for a number of hours. I, I didn't realize, whoa, my wife has been alone with all four kids. I'm in the house. We're together. I'm thinking, I don't hear the kids screaming, so everything must be okay, right? But when I got that text from my wife, it's like, give me the attention right now. I need the attention. So I come downstairs, and I'm like, is everything okay? She's like, I just wanted to make sure that you ate because I can't get you any food. I felt really bad because here I am neglecting her for my work, and all she wanted to do was take care of me, and that was the best way to get my attention. She text messaged me, and, but she wanted to see me, and she said, I just wanted to make sure you ate. What a saint, right? <laughs> what a saint. Taking care of the relationship, sometimes it causes it. Our relationship with God, it means we need to stop the busyness. And sometimes He'll just send something our way and speak our, our language. And He'll get in our face and He'll say, Remember me? That's why I love, I love that there's a Sabbath that's talked about in the Bible. And the Bible says as the Sabbath was made for man, right? And it's a gift from God. Because the Sabbath is a time for us to remember, no matter how busy you get throughout the week, there's a seven-day week, right? You work six days, do everything else, but God's just saying, don't forget me on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath, it's not like, oh, I need to bow down and worship the Sabbath. No. It's a matter of, here's a gift to you so that you could spend time with me and we could have this relationship together and we're going to have this great time together. I love my Sabbath. You know, because my focus is more on God and I, it purposely makes me put all the other things aside for especially that day for me. It's like you don't go on a date and bring your work with you, do you? No. You give all the attention to developing that relationship when you go out on the date, right? Put down the cell phones, put down the distractions, right? God is with us. Let's not ignore him. Yeah? So remember through the Christmas season and you hear all the carols and everything, just remember Emmanuel. God with us. Right? God with us. Let's not, let's not forget that and what difference that makes in our life. The gift of God's presence because it is a gift. We're looking at John chapter 14 and a few verses here. The first one is verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verses 15 to 17. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you and will be in you. Verse 23. 
Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. So when Jesus was ascending and he tells his followers, Surely I am with you even to the end of the, the age, to the end of time, okay, to the end of this world. How is Jesus with us? Anyone who loves me, anyone who obeys my commands, anyone that hangs and holds to my teaching, we will come to them and make our home with them. And he will dwell with us. And he comes to us through his spirit, the spirit of Christ. So Jesus, when you've accepted Jesus into your life and you receive his presence in your life, this is the greatest gift. Sometimes we think, oh, it's salvation because I don't want to burn in hell. Some people look at salvation as just that, not burning in hell. But salvation is really about being in the presence of God. It's about God. You know, we could experience God's presence in our life now. We don't have to wait for this world to end. Right? So what are we doing with our life, friends? Are we still too busy with the other things that we're not paying attention to the presence of God in our life? Jesus and his Father will come and make their home with those who love him and obey his teaching. He promised to be with those who believe in him. This is accomplished through the presence of Christ's Spirit in our hearts through faith. There it is. Maybe you haven't ex been able to appreciate the presence of God yet, the full value, right? Maybe you don't appreciate the value of this gift of his presence in our life. I mean, God is more than creator. He is more than savior. He is more than provider. He's more than comforter. He calls you friend. He delights in you, right? Do you delight in him? Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? Do you like spending time with God? Or is it a nuisance and something you got to squeeze in and pencil in in your day book, you know? It's like, oh, okay, God, here's five minutes. Now I go live my life. Remember, no matter where you are throughout the day, God goes with you, right? And he's not leaving you. The holiday season is a time where suicide rates seem to skyrocket. And there are a lot of people at this time of year that come to believe that they are so alone and they are so lonely. They believe that nobody cares. They believe that there's no love for them in this world and they want to escape it. Friends, there is no escape from death. There is no escape from misery. If it's not with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without Jesus, we are wandering around aimlessly. 
Without Jesus, we are always believing the enemy's lies. And without Jesus, there is no life, just death. We have a special message to bring to this dark world, friends. We need to start helping wake people up to the reality that God is with us and he loves us and he's not going anywhere. Okay? We could encourage people when they're in their times of need and trouble by helping them see that God is with them. And you know how he's going to do that? He's going to use you. Don't leave it up to somebody else. Don't leave it up to another church that's already doing good work. He wants to use you. I want you to think of five people. Five people, and I'm sure you will all be able to come up with five. Five people that you believe might be lonely this holiday season. Five people that you can invest some time and give, share fellowship with them. And pray over these five names. And ask God to lead you to these people, okay? Ask God to use you to reach these people with his love. Ask God for his presence to go with you and his presence be made known as you minister to these five people that might be lonely this holiday season. And just because they're going to parties doesn't mean that they're not lonely. Okay? You might see them on Facebook and they look like they got a ton of friends, but the Lord could impress on your heart and bring a person to your mind. Let's do this together as a faith community. Okay? Let's start living out our faith in a practical way. One of the best presents you could give people is your presence and the presence of God going with you. Okay? You could show up and it could ruin their day. But if God's with you, you know what? Let God's will be done through you. Amen? Let's close here with a prayer. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Won't you stand with me as we continue the prayer? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love is that surpasses knowledge, that you may be lift, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.